Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes. If you'll give me that, I'll give you the world and we'll look at current events that are happening in our world today, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Our broadcast partners are scattered across the world. We're going to them in just a moment. Ken Timmerman, he's on the Catbird Seed in Washington. David Nolan has a Middle East news update. We'll talk with Winky Madad in Israel about the Prime Minister's revelation on Iran on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's nuclear deception. Then we'll talk with Itamar Marcus, also in Israel, talking about the march of return by the Palestinians and Mahmoud Abbas. He has denied and blamed the Jews for the Holocaust. John Rood has our European Union update, and David James will discuss Persia. We'll look at their biblical past, what's happening presently, and how they are a key player in Bible prophecy. So glad you could join us, and let's go right now to Washington. Ken, as so many things have happened this week, we've got to get right underway with it. It's very interesting that strikes on Iran and Syria have brought about two fronts for the Israelis. In other words, last Sunday, the strike there on the Iranian military facility, and then, of course, the Mossad going in, taking out all of those files, uh, the Iranian nuclear archives. Quite interesting developments as it relates to this Iranian-Israeli situation, is it not? I would call this the psychological front of the war between Iran and Israel, not just the military front, although obviously it's that as well. Israel, through the extent of its intelligence, the penetration to the very heart of the Iranian regime, its secret of secrets in this nuclear archive, this atomic archive in Tehran, has really shaken the Iranian regime to its core. They've shown with the military strikes in Syria, they can hit Iran with impunity anywhere that they choose. And by going into Tehran and stealing uh, a half a ton of the most secret documents of the Iranian regime, they've shown that there are no secrets of the leadership in Tehran that Israel cannot access. Uh, I tell you, Iran is a, is, a, is a country that is, uh, people are very superstitious. The leadership of this country is very stu- superstitious as well. They see these things, and the people are superstitious. They see these things as signs of weakness. And I think this is in addition, and here's a, a added advantage that nobody really is talking about. I think this is also encouraging the people of Iran to believe that their regime is now weak. Yeah, I think that uh, Netanyahu's speech really reawakened the Iranian protests there. They think they may well have a possibility of overthrowing the present regime. Do you think that's possible? Well, all things are possible. As we saw in, in 2009 and we saw last December, the slightest spark can set off massive protests across Iran. The regime has so far been successful in putting them down. But, you know, the latest wave of protests, we've discussed this before, but it's worthwhile repeating. This latest wave of protests has gone way beyond what happened in 2009. It's no longer the elites, the urban elites, the Tehran elites who are uh, rising up against the regime, but it is core regime supporters around the country. If you asked somebody in Iran today to tell you 
where protests were happening, they would really have a hard time. Uh, it's easier for them to tell you where the protests are not happening because they're happening all across the country. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people pushing back on the Israeli prime minister and this report he gave and the presentation, quite dramatic, quite dynamic as well. And the world had to pay attention to what he had to say. But there are reports also that Iran's nuclear nuclear archive may have been in violation of the nuclear deal from the outset. And, of course, it was based upon lies. Uh, well, that's right. And, Jimmy, I actually make that same argument in a column that should be up at Fox News, the Fox News opinion page. Look, the Iran nuclear deal is based on a pretty clear trade-off. Iran agrees to certain restrictions on its nuclear program and agrees to come clean about all of its previous nuclear weapons research programs and to shut them down completely. The very existence of this atomic archive shows, number one, that Iran lied at the very moment it was making the nuclear deal, so they did not uphold their commitments under the nuclear deal to come clean about their previous nuclear weapons activities. And number two, they have ongoing nuclear weapons activities. This archive itself shows that they have every intention to revive that nuclear weapons program at some date in the future. All they have to do is go in there, take out their studies, and pick up where they left off. That in itself is a violation. So my argument is that the nuclear deal is dead. The Iranians killed it. You know, it's quite interesting that Mike Pompeo was there with Prime Minister Netanyahu the afternoon before they would attack the Israeli Air Force, attacking that military operation there in Hama in a bit northern part of Syria there and taking out 200 long-range missiles. Uh, but he was also there to be briefed by the prime minister as to what was going to take place on Monday. Now, he said that uh, the United States has known this information for quite a while. They confirm it is absolutely true. Very interesting, a man with a CIA background and then becomes the Secretary of State to be along with the Prime Minister when all of this is unfolding. Well, that's right. And, and the Israelis share this information with the U.S. apparently already in March. And I think that's what Pompeo is referring to. He's not saying that the U.S. already had access to the Atomic Archive because that is, is not the case. But the Israelis initially contacted uh, the United States, as soon as they got the archive out of Tehran, we're told that the actual exfiltration of the archive was probably sometime in January of this year. And so as soon as they had gotten it safe in Israel, they went to Washington and briefed the CIA, briefed the president of the United States. And obviously, you know, Mike Pompeo, who was then CIA director, was fully briefed on it as well. So there is very close cooperation here between Israel and the United States on the Iranian nuclear issue and on many, many other things as well. What about the report that the United Nations Secretary General said that withdrawing from the nuclear deal, which may happen by May the 12th, would likely lead to war? What are your thoughts? Is that a viable possibility or not? Uh, well, you know, it's clearly the fear that the pro-deal supporters are trying to put out there, uh, in the same way that Obama and Kerry tried to tell us before they negotiated, and you can't say they negotiated this deal because the U.S. made all the concessions. Iran made zero concessions in this deal. 
But this was the same argument they were putting out in the lead-up to the deal as well. They said, if we don't do this agreement with Iran, there will be war. This is the only alternative to war. I think it was not true then, in 2015, and I think it's not true today. What about Russia? They have been very active, and this is a different subject than Iran, although Russia playing a key role there in Syria as it relates to Iran. But there's now a report that uh, the Russians may be planning a new invasion on the Ukraine, trying to open up two fronts, trying to distract from what's going on in Syria. Is that a possibility? Well, these are very disturbing uh, reports. Uh, They're coming out of Ukraine itself, uh, so you have to give them a grain of salt, take them with a grain of salt. It's the Ukrainian government who's talking about a massive Russian troop buildup. And here the reports vary from somewhere between 70,000 troops to 260,000 troops uh, in the uh, uh, Dunas area, which is the contested area of eastern Ukraine. Uh, it's clear that the Russians have a, uh, have a huge military equipment buildup. There's over 1,000 main battle tanks that they've amassed there along the Ukrainian border. And you've got to really wonder what's, uh, you know, why the Russians would want to do this at a very sensitive time in their relations with the United States uh, and with the rest of the world. Russia is becoming increasingly isolated. I think that's uh, true. Uh, their activities in Syria are not uh, benefiting them tremendously. In fact, they're starting to cause dissent back home. Uh, when the reports came out of the U.S. Uh, uh, airstrike and artillery strike, against those Russian contractors, the military contractors, where 200 Russians, maybe as many as 300 Russians, were killed as they uh, tried to cross into the U.S.-controlled area of the uh, Syrian-Iraq border uh, a couple of months ago. You know, this has really created quite a bit of uh, dissension uh, back home in Russia. The family of those contractors is obviously very upset. The Russian people are very worried about this. They see another foreign war, another foreign entanglement, So you're right. Putin could be either trying to detract, uh, distract, excuse me, uh, his his home audience from what's going on in Syria, or he could just be uh, thinking that he can get away with anything and nobody is going to stop him. He may be right about that, but um, you know, we'll just have to see how he does it because uh, the United States under President Trump has uh, provided military, defensive military equipment to the Ukraine. Obviously, we don't have troops there. We haven't welcomed Ukraine into NATO, so there's no mutual defense treaty. Uh, but the U.S. is concerned uh, about Ukraine's territorial integrity, and, um, and I don't think uh, President Trump uh, would be favorable to a Russian military incursion there. I don't think he's going to put U.S. troops on the line to stop it. That's pretty sure, I think. Vladimir Putin better consider the fact that he's dividing his army, endeavoring to try to deal with part of uh, the European Union, the area of the Ukraine, though they're not a member state, but then, of course, his activities in the Middle East as well. Well, we cover geopolitical activities with Ken Timmerman from the Catbird Seed in Washington, D.C. We do that because you, my dear friend, need to understand these current events, and then we look at it in light of biblical prophecy. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us right here on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's Nuclear Deception. (laughs) 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today in a temporary studio here in Henderson, Texas. Well, as promised, we're going to cover the Middle East, our Middle East news update given to us each and every week by David Dolan. And David, a lot of things happening, boy, since last we talked. Everything exploded as it relates to, and that's the reason for our special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's Nuclear Deception, with the Prime Minister having a conversation with Mike Pompeo, the new Secretary of State. That was Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Israeli Air Force, as we believe is the case, went into Hama in Syria to wipe out a Iranian military operation there, destroying some 200 long-range missiles. And then the next day, the report to the world by Prime Minister Netanyahu with the evidence in hand of all the Iranian nuclear archives, which the Mossad was able to bring out of Tehran. Now, we're going to have Winky Madad really get in-depth in this just a moment from now, David. But would you please talk to me about now there are two fronts as it relates to the Israeli Defense Force and their enemy, Iran, one in Syria and one in Tehran itself. Uh, This is opening up the way for a possible conflict between these two nations, which we know is going to be the case according to Bible prophecy. Well, we do, Jimmy, but indeed the facts on the ground continue to uh, shout, really, that conflict is coming. Uh, Of course, we saw that in the North Korean situation, it seems that it suddenly turned around, and it's just possible that the Iranians will be pushed by Russia to curb their activities. That's a possibility. 
The Russians may feel that they will lose their own base inside of Syria if they also support Iran continuing to be present there with its revolutionary guards, tens of thousands of them, commanders. They've set up bases, we believe at least 15 bases around Syria the Iranians have, and that's one of them that was attacked, as you said, near Aleppo. And, Jimmy, that explosion, when the Israelis, as you say, we don't have official confirmation that it was Israel, but everyone believes it was, and the Israelis have not denied that they carried out that major operation, but it actually created a earthquake. There was a 2.3 magnitude earthquake after Israel struck the missiles. 200 were in the building, we're told, and they created a huge explosion. The Israelis have said they're just not going to allow the Iranians to continue to set up bases inside Syria, nor to continue to use Syria as a conduit for forces and weapons being transferred to Lebanon, to Hezbollah. You mentioned two fronts, Tehran itself, Iran, and Syria, but of course we have the Iranian Hezbollah force, Iranian-backed, paid-for, funded, trained, commanded even in some cases there in Lebanon. So it's a a very difficult situation. The Prime Minister, uh, a very eloquent speech, of course, he spoke first in English, and he's fluent in it, having gone to school in Massachusetts as a teenager and lived in the States with his parents, who teaching at MIT. He did a great job as far as laying out the case, but of course the response from several of the European leaders and others was that this only reinforces the need to continue with the nuclear agreement, because indeed Iran did have a nuclear program. Well, You and I talked about that many times, Jimmy, Uh, the Iranians denying, denying, denying all those years that they were doing anything uh, for weapons. It was all for peaceful purposes and medical research and all this baloney. Well, now the Israelis have in hand the proof that that was a lie. But again, the reaction from most of the world has been, well, we knew this anyway, and we just have to carry on with the nuclear deal. But it certainly seems from... President Trump's reaction to Prime Minister Netanyahu's presentation, that he accepted it. He's, of course, seen firsthand, and Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, the new Secretary of State, and other American leaders have been shown uh, by the Israelis the files and the other things that were taken from Tehran. So this is not a speculation, but what reaction happens further, we'll have to see. But uh, today's Haaretz, one of Israel's leading newspaper has a front-page article saying Israel has decided to double down in Syria and to, even if it means a full war with Iran, to go for it because, as they've been saying, they simply cannot allow this northern neighbor to be turned into an Iranian base of operation, military base of operation against the small Jewish state. It's interesting you brought up the name Russia and that nation and their participation in what's going on there in Syria as well with the Iranians. Vigdor Lieberman, who is the defense minister in Israel, made the statement that he was seeking assurances from Russia, both on Syria and Iran. Looks like uh, he wants to give the Russians a way out if they will take it. And they just might, Jimmy. This is, I think, the only possibility of avoiding actual conflict, false conflict. Now, again, this war is ongoing. I mean, uh, Israel just took a major military strike, and this is about the tenth one that they've taken. The Iranians, of course, have sent a 
armed, we now know, armed drone uh, into Israeli airspace that the Israelis shot down, then Israel lost an aircraft after that. And so this battle is going on. It just hasn't blown up into a full war. Now, maybe the Russians will fear that happening and will wonder if their own, as I said earlier, their own position in uh, Syria uh, could be harmed if the world rises up against the Iranian presence in Syria, and particularly if President Trump makes that a strong stand. Uh, of course, we're still getting mixed signals from the president as to what he wants to do, whether he wants to pull all forces out and how committed he is to this fight. But it certainly seems that uh, his top officials around him, Mike Pompeo in particular, see the need to take on Iran and, and the need for Israel to probably do it, or, again, to force Russia, as it were, to force Iran to pull out. And that just could happen, Jimmy. It could, because really the Iranians have no reason to be <laughs> in another country. Uh, of course, the Assad regime invited them to come and help in this war, but the war is winding down. The Assad regime has clearly won, with obviously only with Russian backing, but that backing has been strong, and the war is about over, and they've prevailed. So the Iranians should be leaving, is what the Israelis are saying. There's no need for them to be there, but we'll see what Russia does. That will be a key, and I think we're probably behind the scenes. Some diplomacy is going on from uh, Washington to try to get this outcome, and it would be wonderful if we had a peaceful solution there as well as in uh, Korea. Wow, it would be Nobel Peace Prize time for the president because it would be American pressure and this changed attitude from Washington uh, and Israel being bolder in its military action, probably because it has America's backing, that is turning the tide. But, Jimmy, again, probably we're not going to see Iran leave. They are dug in there pretty deeply. They want to continue to dominate Syria and Lebanon and the whole Crescent area. They want to set, that, set up their own Shiite caliphate, as it were, and so it's very unlikely they're going to willingly pull out. But, again, the Russians could force them to do so. However, I've read that uh, last time in time scenario uh, that is given to us in the Bible, and they're going to come together to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, Syria being that first nation to move against the Jewish state. David, any validity to the Russian newspaper report that Israel used tactical nuclear weapons on Iran there in Syria? It's a possibility, Jimmy. Again, we had a lot of cloud uh, over this uh, operation. The question is why? What was so unusual about it? What was so dramatic? And again, we had a registered earthquake. I mean, it wasn't an earthquake. It's just that the explosion was so powerful that it registered as an earthquake, 2.3 earthquake, and seismologists around the Middle East and elsewhere. So that suggests there may have been a such use. And again, Jimmy, if so... This is all Netanyahu and, and company. Avigdor Lieberman, a very tough man. I, I know him personally. I've interviewed him and the prime minister. They both have their country's future at their heart, and they recognize that the, uh, Iran has brought the fight to them. As, as I've said so many times, Israel has no inherent quarrel with the country of Iran. They've never had a war with them. They've never been involved in the past Arab-Israeli conflicts. Only since the 80s they have, but by proxy in Lebanon. But now here they are setting up a massive presence just to the north of Israel. The Israelis can't abide it. So, indeed, they may have made that message clear to Iran by 
uh, unleashing a small field nuclear device. Now, I'm not confirming that uh, by any means, but there are those reports circulating, and there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that that may have been the case, Jimmy. And if so, let's hope that Tehran gets the message. But as you say, the scriptures indicate that they won't and that a major conflict is coming. We do know the scriptures say exactly that. However, we're going to continue to have David Dolan at this broadcast table to explain and give us a Middle East news update each week because those events happening, unfolding in the Middle East, set the stage for these prophetic passages to be fulfilled. David, thank you so very much for covering the Middle East for us. We appreciate it. You've been doing it for over 30 years. Thank you for being available to us now. We'll talk again next week. I'm glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He has some contacts that we want to talk to him about and give us greater in-depth information about how this whole thing with the revelation of the Iranian nuclear deception unfolded. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's Nuclear Deception. We're talking with all of our broadcast partners focused on this particular issue, the Iranian nuclear operation, and they're going to have to deal with it pretty quickly in about one week. On May the 12th, they'll have to make a decision as to whether it continues on, they have to revamp it, or what's going on. Well, that's our focus. Winky Madad in Israel is standing by. We're going to get his reaction to what the prime minister had to say on last Monday. In fact, I was talking during the break time with Winky. He said some late-breaking news. We'll check with him about that. We're here in Henderson, Texas, in our temporary studios. We'll be at the First Baptist Church tomorrow. It's going to be an all-day prophecy conference. We're going to have three sessions. You do not want to miss them. Mark them down. Come over to Henderson from wherever you are. The First Baptist Church. First session will be at 10.30 on Sunday morning, 
And then Sunday evening at 4.30 and another session at 6 o'clock. Going to have a meal, a dinner on the grounds type of operation. I love that type of operation. Well, we're going to have that at the First Baptist Church in Henderson. Three great services, Prophecy Conference, underway at the First Baptist Church. Come and join us. Uh, Pastor David Higgs is calling for everybody to come and let's study the prophetic word of God. We're at a time in history that we need to understand what the ancient Jewish prophets had to say about the end times. Well, let's see if we can find out some more information. We're going to go to Winky Madad. He's in Shiloh, center part of the state, actually the capital of the Jewish state of Israel about 3,500 years ago. Now, of course, it's the city of Jerusalem. Winky, before we get to the issue, the Iranian nuclear deception, talk to me about the late breaking news. What was it you were telling me? Well, Jimmy, you know here in Israel uh, we treat security affairs and defense very seriously. It also helps to be a little bit uh, playful with the news just to release tension. And I wanted the people to know that we're on that because... Most of us know that Mr. Netanyahu has been under some police investigations. Each one of those files are called 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. And the joke that came up was that the police now want to investigate him on file 5,000 for stealing office supplies in Tehran. (laughs) But uh, that is a bit humorous, but of course it covers the fact that I think one of the most amazing intelligence spy scoops, probably the top five in the history of espionage, was what we witnessed earlier this week. I would have to say that is absolutely true, and that's a great piece of humor there. I'm going to use that all across the countryside as I travel and speak on this particular prophetic issue. Well, as a citizen of the state of Israel, Winky, I want to ask you a lot of things, but the first thing I'd like to get from you, your reaction to what the prime minister revealed on the Iranian nuclear program. Well, Jimmy... Let me try to do it in two or three quick points. Number one, we're thankful that Mr. Netanyahu, through the Mossad, of course, Israel's intelligence agency that deals with things abroad, proved and confirmed what we believed for the past uh, 15 years or so, that Iran was intending to engage in a nuclear arms program and probably kept all the information in order to deal with it in the short-term future, and pointing the highlight on the terms of the Iran deal that President Obama had arranged for, which are woefully inadequate. The second issue was that basically the world turned around, and I've been reading Ben Rhodes, uh, who was Obama's public diplomacy chief agent, I would call him, and some other people, we're saying, well, of course, we knew that they were lying, and the, the accord is supposed to take care of that by assuming that they are doing so. Of course, if anyone asks, according to the accord, has any installation been investigated in the past two or three years? Do we know exactly at what level their uh, program is at or not at? No one's been there, Jimmy. So again, Mr. Netanyahu brought up that uh, issue. And the last one, of course, is that Mr. Netanyahu has done the world a favor. 
He's laid all the information out. The Americans, as far as I've been reading, are confirming it's authentic. And he's saying, well, Mr. Trump, I've done all I can. Now it's for you to step into the breach and see what we can do to fix it, improve it, or get rid of it. Well, as you mentioned, Wiki, there is some pushback on this information that the prime minister revealed last Monday. Many are saying that it was old information. How do you come back and respond to that? Well, very simple. It's not old information because uh, most of the information deals with material that can be easily, shall we say, turned on, as if we put the key in the ignition and just turn it and the engine rolls over. They have nuclear know-how. They have uranium somewhere. Even though they claim to have moved it out of the country, I'm not trusting them that it's all gone. They had developed nuclear warhead type of implements, and Mr. Netanyahu put that on the screen for everybody to see. And since we know that the deal is not fully being pressured on Iran, we can only assume that if they lied 15 years ago and they lied three years ago, it's my guess, Jimmy, that they're lying today, too. And that's the problem. People, unfortunately, are willing to accept that the Iranians lie and ignore that and just move on and say, well, we've got a deal or we'll do something better. If I had a business partner, Jimmy, and you may have had one in the past, and he lied to you once or twice, he'd probably try to get out of that business deal, take your savings, and run. We've got a country with a nuclear weapon as part of the business. Yeah, you know, it's quite ironic that somebody would want to consider putting together some type of an agreement to allow you to move ahead and ultimately be able to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, based upon a lie. If you lied about it, and uh, that is the premise upon which you move forward, this was supposed to be a good opportunity for us to believe each other that we're going to do what we're saying we're going to do, and they must have been lying for these last 15 years as well. Now, I'm wondering, and I have heard that the man who was the head, the director of the CIA, Mike Pompeo, who is now the Secretary of State, has known this for a long time because it was a a couple of months back when they actually went in, the Mossad took out all of this information from Tehran. So they were working somewhat in concert with the United States, were they not? I believe so, Jimmy, according to the reports. And I think that this is a good time to bring up some issue that people have doubts about. They always claim that Israel, among other nations, is getting an awful lot of money for nothing, that all our foreign aid to Israel is just a gift. And this is one example, Jimmy, that Israel does help the United States. There is a partnership there that starts from the very first of the presidents and from Benjamin Franklin and Adams and Washington even in terms of recognizing the necessity of the Jews to be in their homeland. It's not nothing new as it's from the 20th or even the 19th century. Uh, it's been all along this way. It's had its up and downs because I think, and I think we discussed it also, Jimmy, State Department and other issues that come up. But Israel is the greatest ally that the United States has, and not only because of the cultural, religious, and historical elements, but because we give and provide the United States a lot in terms of defense experience, weapons training, and now, of course, intelligence on this most 
perhaps supreme level that it could be obtained. Yes, great allies in the Middle East, Israel, and the United States. We do know from journalists reporting the case uh, that many of the Iranian leaders were dumbfounded when they actually found out what had happened. But this is also should be tangible evidence that the Mossad and other intelligence-gathering organizations a part of the Israeli Defense Force can know exactly what Iran is doing, both in Syria and Iran, since those two fronts have now opened up. And with the threat from Iran, they're going to attack Israel. Israel can well be prepared for that attack, can they not? As much as we possibly can, Jimmy, uh, but that's only half of the story. Uh, That's man's doing. We also have to know that hopefully God will keep his watch over us as he promised. And we can depend at least as much on him as we can on Mossad or the IDF or the decisions and thinking of our political leaders, or at least we hope so. And I think most of us are confident in their ability to lead us to safety. Uh, Great, great analysis of what God is doing, even at this time, giving wisdom to the Jewish leaders, military leaders, political leaders, but watching over his chosen people, the Jewish people. Great word, Winky. Hey, thank you so much, my good friend, for this insight into what the prime minister did revealing the Iranian nuclear deception. Appreciate it, my good buddy. We'll talk again soon. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. This time we're going to a broadcast partner, Parex a lot, who has been often with us behind these microphones at this broadcast table. We're talking about Itamar Marcus. He heads up palwatch.org. By the way, that's their address for their website. You need to put that on your list of websites you want to go to and stay on top of. It's PAL, P-A-L, watch, W-A-T-C-H, one word, palwatch.org, and you'll find out what Itamar and his team are doing to monitor the electronic and the print media for the Palestinian people. Itamar, a very interesting speech given by the president of the Palestinian Authority. We're talking about Mahmoud Abbas. And the focus was on the Holocaust and actually who was responsible for the Holocaust. Now, here's what my concern is. Mahmoud Abbas, who's the man who made the speech, has been a Holocaust denier Why is he now saying that the Jews were responsible for the Holocaust? If there was no Holocaust, who would it matter was the one responsible? Well, Abbas has sort of retracted from his uh, Ph.D. thesis, which he wrote, which involved a lot of Holocaust denial, blaming the Jews for conspiracy with the Nazis. And he's backed off on it because the world was really, really coming down to him about it. And I think what's happened now is he's reached a point in his life where he just doesn't care anymore, and he's going to tell everybody what he really believes. And he knows that the United States isn't supporting him anymore under President Trump, and the Europeans have given up on him for many different reasons. So he's decided just to say it as he believes it, and and that is, he said that the Jews every 10 to 15 years from the 11th century until the Holocaust suffered some kind of massacres. And then he says, why did this happen? Well, he said it was because of the social role of the Jews connected to usury and banks, meaning people hated the Jews because the Jews deserved it. That's what Mahmoud Abbas is saying. 
Now, the reason why this is so important to Mahmoud Abbas, and this is what has to be understood, he's not the first Palestinian to say this. In fact, it's a fundamental part of Palestinian ideology. And why do they say this? The Palestinians make up the lie that there never was a Jewish history in the land of Israel, so they have to explain why the Jews came back to Israel, why the Jews came to Israel. Well, what they do is they put it all together. They said the Jews were hated by the Europeans because of the Jews' evil behavior. And then the Europeans finally decided to... There were two attempted solutions. One was Hitler's to annihilate them. And then when that didn't work, the Europeans decided, well, you know what we'll do? We'll send them to Palestine. We'll send them to the land of Israel. We'll get rid of them that way. So that they were sent not as a... Zionism wasn't, according to Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, Zionism wasn't a return of the Jews to the land. It was a way that the Europeans could get rid of these terrible, terrible people. This is their ideology, and this is much, much worse even than just saying it the way he did, uh, because he's saying everybody wants to get rid of the Jews. We need to take a moment also now to get an update on the March of Return. They've been there for a number of Fridays already. They're focused on trying to continue on all the way to May the 14th. First of all, update us on what is going on on this March of Return. Explain a little bit for those who may not understand what it is, and then tell us about what's happening. Well, the Hamas from Gaza was not able to succeed in building tunnels, which they were planning to use for some future war. Every time they built them, Israel destroyed them because of a new technology Israel has for discovering tunnels. So they decided to try a different a different method. They want to bring tens of thousands of people to the gates around Gaza, and then on May 14th, have them all crash the gates and try to come across into Israel and wreak havoc in Israel. And of course, there'll be many terrorists among them. There'll be civilians with terrorists near them, and Israel won't even know who's a terrorist and who's a civilian. That is their plan. What they've done now is every Friday they've been having these dry runs, and every Friday they're trying to see what works better. The latest terror tactic that they're using, and I'm not sure you're familiar with this, is they've been sending over kites, and the winds come from the sea behind them and then come over Gaza and then into Israel, and they've been sending up kites with bottles of burning gasoline over toward the fields of the Israeli farmers and the Israeli kibbutzim, and there have already been a 1,000 dunam of fields that have been burned. Today they sent over about 20. Now, Israel has not really responded yet, other than to try to put out the fires. But they gave a warning today. They said that from now on, they're going to see these as they see missiles, as they see real terror. Now, when the missile comes across, Israel takes its bombs and it blasts some Hamas installations. And if Israel wants us to stop, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to respond. It is terror, <clears throat> just because it's not aimed directly at people, but it's at fields. Fires can get out of hand, and fires can kill people. They have to see it as terror, and they have to treat it as terror. Otherwise, the Palestinians will just keep doing it even more. Let me focus just a bit more on May the 14th. I've heard a phrase that they're going to try to march to Jerusalem as well. Right now, they're at the Gaza-Israeli border. They do their demonstrations mostly on Friday with thousands of Palestinians. But if they can break across that border, I think it's going to be pretty difficult with the IDF there. But if they possibly could get across, are they going to try to go up to Jerusalem? Well, it's it's quite a distance. It's quite a distance. It's, uh, it's half the length of the country, so they're not going that far. There might be isolated few who actually break through, and Israel will either shoot at them or arrest them. 
because uh, you, you don't know who's a terrorist and who's a civilian, and, and that's the way they're going to have to be treated. Otherwise, they could get large numbers in if, if Israel allows them. But Israel's not going to allow them in, and let's hope it uh, can be done without, without violence and without loss of life. Well, I was going to say it's probably going to be a real hot time there at the uh, northernmost point of the Gaza Strip on May the 14th, which is, of course, the day, according to the Christian calendar, the day of the announcement to the world of the establishment of the Jewish state of Israel, or in their estimation, it's called Nakba Day, is it not? Yes, it is. It's called the catastrophe. For them, they call the creation of Israel catastrophe. And the reason, of course, it was a catastrophe was because their own leaders didn't accept Israel and decided to go to war. Had they accepted Israel, they would have had a Palestinian state already for 70 years. And uh, with Israel as their neighbor, they probably would have been thriving more than any other Arab state in the Middle East. But they chose war, and they have chosen war since then. And we've had 70 years of, uh, of war and terror because of it. Uh, and the catastrophe, again, is self-imposed catastrophe on the Palestinians by their leaders. We're going to stay on top of this story, of course, always with Edomar Marcus. He heads up the organization Palestinian Media Watch, and he and his team give us the truth that is being talked about in the Palestinian media, both electronic and print media. Edomar, a great service you offer not only to us, but we're just a small part of what you're doing to the nations of the world and to the world itself to help us stay informed as to what the Palestinians are really talking about. Appreciate it so much, my good friend. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bye. Very important conversation from Edomar Marcus. Understanding a couple of items. Number one, the speech that Mahmoud Abbas made about the Holocaust. And number two, the continuing activities of the March of Return there at the Israeli-Gaza border by the Palestinians. By the way, since we have come on the air, I've got information that Mahmoud Abbas has made an apology for some of his statements about the Holocaust. He said if he offended anybody, please forgive him. Well, Vigdor Lieberman, the defense minister of Israel, ignores that, says that he is a Holocaust denier. Very interesting events happening in light of this speech by Mahmoud Abbas. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. We've got a lot to get to. John, thank you for being available. Let's go right to the issue discussing Iran's nuclear deception on this special edition of Prophecy Today. Prime Minister Netanyahu has invited the European delegates to come examine the Iranian archives that they were able to take out of Tehran. I'm not sure the European Union is leaning towards even believing these archives. They're kind of resistance. What do you think's happening there with the European Union as it relates to Iran? Uh, as well, I examined what could possibly be the uh, response and they are sending delegation of uh, Germany, France, and United Kingdom to review the nuclear documents which have been taken out, which incidentally must have been an amazing operation because they were taken out as hard copies. The bulk of the information weighed a half a ton or one ton. So that was something. So there's an enormous amount of uh, evidence showing that Iran certainly had a nuclear program and some intention of continuing the program as well. 
against the entire basis of the treaties that have been made and the agreements. So how can the EU react to absolute proof? That's very interesting. It just, as you say, it's something where they just might be, you know, don't, don't confuse us with the facts. It is an outstanding collection of documents. It's absolute proof. And the Prime Minister of Israel, of course, Netanyahu, had said, we've now turned our question marks into exclamation points. I would imagine there would be somewhat a muted response from the EU observance visiting and examining the documents. Yeah, and I would suggest probably, it's like you said last week, follow the money and you'll see why the European Union is not in favor of trying to do anything with that uh, Iranian nuclear deal, especially in light of the money they're able to make in their business alliances. Well, talk to me about a headline we've just received. The president of France, Macron, said that he is looking for the coalition of the willing to put together a military operation. And I was very amazed the number of those willing to join with him, 10 nations. That's quite an interesting connection to Bible prophecy. Yes, French President Emmanuel Macron has pulled off a a brilliant maneuver politically. Remember, he actually became the president of France on a very pro-European Union platform because there was rising nationalism, and uh, it looked like it was going to be very close. So he's actually pulled this off where, through his coalition of military, uh, which has had this uh, outstanding response of ten nations, He's actually strengthening the French nationalism in the terms of taking the leadership, and it's under a pro-European Union platform. So this is sort of a rare uh, opportunity. The EU has tried to form an army for decades, and they began with what was called a rapid reaction force, which is essentially the first element of having an army. Now he's moved on to this coalition for emergencies, the uh, formal name is the European Intervention Initiative. So it's essentially the same thing as the Rapid Reaction Force, and he's taking the opportunity to take a stand as the pro-European Union, pro-European Union democracy. In a recent speech in the Parliament, actually, he came out and said how he stood for European Union democracy. That's very interesting. I spoke with one of the members of the European Parliament, and he told me personally that European Union democracy is a sham, and we all know that. There's no elected body in the European Union government except the European Parliament, and that's basically figurehead at that. So he's actually doing a very fine example of crafting politics, and where this is going is bringing in French nationalism, which strengthens his position vis-à-vis a pro-European Union platform. It was interesting also to note that Germany is somewhat resistant to this, although they're unwillingly almost going along with it. They're supposed to be a part of the coalition of the willing. 
And then they want to include the United Kingdom, who actually are pulling out of the European Union. Quite interesting moves. One final thought. There's going to be a discussion, of course, about what they're going to do with the Iranian nuclear deal, how that's going to play out, especially as the United States and the European leaders get together. While that's all going on, the United Nations Secretary General is making a statement that withdrawal from the nuclear deal would likely lead to war. Is that the thinking of those who are in the European Union? Well, that shows how fragile this whole situation is, that Iran has taken such hardliner stands on this agreement that when there's the slightest opposition, they are, you know, making expression that they're pulling out all the stops and that there would be a war. So they have a tendency to overplay their hand here. The forces in the entire Gulf create a certain balance. The European Union it has interests to keep the nuclear deal. They've sent delegations at the highest level to Washington uh, looking for the May 12th deadline when President Trump will make a formal decision. They've tried to coerce that to keep the deal. They feel that that's probably not going to be very effective. So in the midst of this, we see some of this maneuvering as French's President Macron has accomplished. And then the German intervention there as well is similar because nothing really gets done in Europe unless you have both sides of this French-German motor, that's called, which is the center of the European Union. So they have a big interest to keep the nuclear deal in place, but the statement from the U.N. Secretary General is really astounding, saying it can likely mean war. Well, we're going to stay on top of the story with you, John. And in fact, it's key as you listen to this conversation. You hear the activities unfolding that really are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. John, thank you for staying on top of this report from the European Union. We'll talk again next week. Very good. Thank you. We're going to take a break right now. David James is standing by, our last broadcast partner on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's nuclear deception. We're going to talk about the history, past, present, and future as it relates to Persia or modern-day Iran. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Henderson, Texas. We're going to be all day Sunday in a one-day prophecy conference, three exciting sessions that will take place. More information about that in a moment. Welcome back to this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's Nuclear Deception. In just a moment, David James is standing by, and we're going to give you a history of Iran known in biblical times as Persia, its past, its present, and its prophetic future. Keep the dial set right where it is. You do not want to miss that conversation in the background on the subject of our broadcast today. Do me a favor, if you will, go by my website at prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find my poll question. Here's the question. Do you believe that the Iranian nuclear deception that Israel revealed and Iran's aggressiveness against Israel 
fits the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy that could be fulfilled in the very near future. Now that's the question, my poll question this week. Go to my website after the broadcast and answer that question. And by the way, while you're there, look up information about our School of Prophets Conference upcoming the end of May. This will be a great opportunity for you to come study with us in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's May 29, 30, and 31. And one more bit of additional information, check out our tour schedule. We have eight tours in the next year. Love to have you come join us in Israel, the land of the Bible, and the other lands of the Bible as well. That address, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation on an issue that the church, the body of Christ, needs to have a biblical understanding of. On this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's nuclear deception, that's going to be the focus on Iran when they were known as Persia. That's upcoming in just a moment. But David, before we get to our discussion today, we need to take a few moments to think about what our listeners probably are aware of, the fact that you had to come home early from your international teaching of Bible prophecy and additional courses that you teach at Bible institutes around the world because of a health situation. Uh, tell us just a, a moment, if you will, about what the reports from the doctors might be and how everything looks. Well, uh, thanks for asking, Jimmy, and thanks to, uh, to all of our listeners who prayed for me, and certainly their prayers were answered. I did have some symptoms that had the potential of being fairly serious, but as we got back and I ran some extensive tests, we did find a problem. Turns out it's not all that serious, and I'm going at it full steam ahead right now, and in fact, I'll be with you again in Chattanooga for one of our conferences. Well, we're looking forward to that, David. You'll be teaching on Islam. I'll be starting a three-part study that we're going to do at our School of Prophets, looking at every book in the Bible and giving you the information about how each and every book, all 66 of them, have prophetic passages in them. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. You can get more information about our School of Prophets upcoming the end of the month of May. Well, David, one of the main topics on today's program has been the compelling case that was made by Israel's prime minister that Iran has been violating the nuclear deal reached under President Obama. Well, I don't think it came as any surprise to any thinking person who has even a remote understanding of the world's geopolitical situation, even though the United States has allies with some Muslim countries such as Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Those are Sunni countries, but Iran is Shiite, and as our listeners, I'm sure, know, they have characterized the United States as the great Satan and Israel as uh, the little Satan, and they want nothing more than to actually see the destruction of both countries. Well, with that in mind, I thought it would be helpful to take some time here on the broadcast today to consider what the Bible has to say about Iran in the past, the present, and the future. 
I think we should begin with where Iran is mentioned in the Scripture, and especially what we learn from that context. Well, as you noted in your opening statement, that Iran is known as Persia, and in fact, the Farsi language is related to the word Persia. You can look at it two ways. If you look at it in terms of Bible book order in our English Bible, the first mention of Persia is in Second Chronicles 36.20, and it is talking about where the nation of Israel became servants, the Jewish people became servants of the kingdom of Persia after the Medo-Persian Empire defeated the Babylonians. So they were actually the second empire that took control of Babylon. And so not only were the Jews captive to the Babylonians, they became captive to the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's interesting that the Medes actually defeated Babylon first, and those are the modern-day Kurds, and then they uh, absorbed the Persian Empire, so it became a dual empire. And then later, the Persians actually came into power in the position above the Medes rather than alongside them or below them. Then in terms of historical, where they first appear historically, in terms of uh, a prophecy or uh, a mention, is actually in the book of Ezekiel, which would have been about a hundred years or so, maybe a little more, prior to the Second Chronicles reference, where it's a part of an oracle against the king of Tyre that continues into chapter 28, and it notes that there were those from Persia who were part of the army of the king of Tyre, so maybe they were functioning as mercenaries back that far. David, I want to get to Iran's future in the scriptures in a few moments, but some very important prophecies concerning Persia have already actually been fulfilled, which obviously has implications for the fulfillment of future prophecies. Well, that's right, and we talk about prophecy as one of the greatest apologetics for the truth of the inerrancy and the inspiration of scripture that all prophecy has been fulfilled literally so far, so we can expect that it will be fulfilled literally in the future. We remember the prophet Daniel, who was taken captive along with some of his young friends. He was brought into the Babylonian Empire as a captive because God used him to interpret a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had there in Daniel chapter 2. There was a, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream involved a statue with a head of gold and a chest of silver, which was actually the second empire, the empire to follow the Babylonian Empire, and that was the Medes and Persians, which was followed by the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire with the legs of iron and then the feet of iron and clay, the yet revived Roman Empire that has not happened yet. And then in Daniel chapter 7, it has different imagery. It has imagery of animals, and the Medo-Persian Empire is depicted as a bear that is higher on one side than it is on the other, which represented the idea that uh, of the Medes and Persians, one empire was stronger than another. And so those prophets and that order of prophecy was fulfilled exactly in history over a period of about four to five hundred years. So the prophecies were very specific and uh, fulfilled in an absolute way. And what we'll talk about in a little bit about the future, we can expect that that will happen in exactly the same way. I think it's interesting that while Iran has vowed to wipe the modern-day nation of Israel off the map, 
God used ancient Persia to reestablish Israel as a nation after he had judged his people, the Jewish people, for 70 years with the Babylonian conquest and the captivity. Well, that's exactly right. You know, the passage that I mentioned in Second Chronicles 36 and then verse 20, the first mention of the kingdom of Persia, in verse 22, it actually quotes a passage out of Ezra, which starts in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, and this, I'll just read it for our listeners. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, so there's another fulfilled prophecy, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house which is in Judah. Now, this is the first of four decrees that were issued that reestablished Israel in the land. So this was in 539 B.C. that Cyrus issued this a decree to rebuild the temple. This would have been the second temple. And then in 520, Darius gave an order, a decree, to return the temple treasures. In 457, Artaxerxes ordered a return of the priests and Levites. And then three years later, Artaxerxes also gave the command and the decree to rebuild the walls, which is especially significant because that is found in Daniel 925, the reference to rebuilding the walls. This has to do with the time period of 69 weeks to the time that Jesus Christ would be crucified. And so this is extremely specific and, again, points to the astounding precision with which God gave prophecies relating to the nation of Israel, even in Persia's involvement, ancient Iran's involvement. So it's really quite astounding. It's very astounding, and in fact, when you go back to the first personality you mentioned there, Cyrus, even maybe about 150 years before the fact that Cyrus would appear on the world scene over in Isaiah chapters 44 and 45, God said, I'm going to send my servant Cyrus uh, to allow the Jews to return to their homeland. Exciting how Bible prophecy, as it relates to Persia and the Jewish people, has already been fulfilled. Well, as we think about Iran in the present, David, we need to keep in mind that we're at a point in history when prophecies concerning Iran are not currently being fulfilled, but we can certainly see that the stage is being set for the next round of prophetic fulfillment. Well, that's exactly right as well. You know, I think sometimes we get accused of setting dates, and even some Bible prophecy teachers too tightly tie current events to prophecy. And the fact is, we interpret current events in light of Scripture. We don't interpret Scripture in light of current events, and we know that there are no uh, prophecies that are required to be fulfilled until the rapture of the Church. And then after the rapture of the Church, things will start kicking in again. The prophetic timeline will start picking back up, and we are seeing the alignment of the nations, and we can see in some ways for the first time in the last 2,000 years where the stage is being set to be fulfilled in a way that even those in previous generations could never have imagined. David, as we wrap up today's discussion, I'd like to briefly consider what the Scripture has to say concerning the last day's events related to Iran 
on God's prophetic timeline in the future? Well, we go back to the prophecy of Ezekiel, this time to chapter 38, and this has to do with some of the final battles that will take place during the tribulation period, and this is the alignment when Gog of Magog will come against Israel, and there will be a coalition of nations, and Persia is listed in there along with Ethiopia and Libya, where under the direction of the Antichrist, an alliance with nations from the north, nations from the east, and nations from the south will come against Israel, and God will destroy them. And we know that this is after the confirmation of the treaty in Daniel 9.27, because it says that the context is that Israel will be living at peace in a land of unwalled villages, and Israel will not be in that situation until the Antichrist confirms that false treaty that he will break halfway through that last week, that 70th week of Daniel. So that will be sometime after the rapture of the Church, almost certainly after the confirmation of that treaty. And I think we can see that at that point, the armies of Iran will be destroyed by God himself. Great information as far as I'm concerned in light of our theme for today, Iran's nuclear deception for the entire broadcast and giving a backdrop for helping us to understand who Iran, or should we say biblical Persia, is, was, and will be in the future. David, great research. Thank you so very much, my good friend. And we'll talk again next week with another issue. As always, I'll look forward to it. Thank you, Jimmy. Going to take a break, and when we come back, all that we've put together on this special edition, Iran's Nuclear Deception, I'm going to pull together, look at the prophetic truth related to all of this. We'll do that when we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. 
Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Road Map Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. And just before I do that, I think I failed to mention that we will be at the First Baptist Church all day tomorrow in Henderson, Texas. David Hicks, the pastor, is inviting everybody to come and join us. Three sessions of Prophecy Teaching tomorrow, 1030, 430, and 6 p.m., First Baptist Church, Henderson, Texas. On the broadcast today, we've had a focus on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's Nuclear Deception. It's been a special focus for you to be able to better understand what is really unfolding in the Middle East. Iran has a nuclear program that they have been denying. The world is aware of it. Iran has a presence in Syria. And the Iranian nuclear deception and Iran aggressively preparing to attack Israel have been front-page news for the last week. We need to discuss this as it relates to Bible prophecy. But let me remind you that on this special edition of Prophecy Today, we had our broadcast partners come to the broadcast table and discuss the issues pertaining to our look at the book. Ken Timmerman, for example, talked about the United States' connection with Israel, with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and his knowledge of the nuclear deal because of the relationship between the United States and Israel, and Pompeo in that position, meeting with the Prime Minister before this information, this release of the Iranian nuclear archives, was made to the entire world. David Dolan talked about Israel now having two fronts with Iran. One of them is in Syria, as the evidence tells us that last Sunday the Israeli Air Force went into Hama, attacked the Iranian military operation, where they were able to destroy some 200 long-range missiles, causing a 2.3 reading on the Richter scale, a small earthquake because of this destruction. Winky Madad went more into depth about the dynamic and dramatic revelation by Prime Minister Netanyahu on the Iranian nuclear archives able to respond to some of the pushback that some of the other world leaders are giving to this report by the Israeli Prime Minister. When I talked with Itamar Marcus, he talked about Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, saying that the Jews are the ones responsible for causing the Holocaust. And, of course, we focused on the march of return at the Gaza Strip-Israeli border, continuing a campaign leading up to May the 14th when the Palestinians want to charge that border, come across, and continue that march into Israel proper. John Rood is the man who gives us our European Union update We talked about the fact that European Union delegates will be visiting Israel to be able to meet with the Prime Minister and look at this material that he revealed to the world on last Monday. 
John and I also brought to your attention the 10-state coalition of the willing that are putting together a military operation in the European Union, a key significant step to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And then Dave, James, and myself had a conversation about the biblical history of Persia and the prophetic scenario that is found for Iran in God's Word for us to look at and come to an understanding of. Great broadcast partners, great reports, all can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Be sure to tell a friend that this information is available there. Well, let's get back now to the issue of Iran's nuclear deception. Iran is the modern-day state of biblical Persia. The name changed in 1936, but they still speak the Persian language, showing that relationship to biblical times. As David James revealed to us, Iran, or Persia, first mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 36, they defeated the Babylonian Empire to allow the Jews to leave Babylon, return to their homeland. Cyrus, in Ezra chapter 1, was the man that God chose and in fact fulfilled prophecy, Isaiah chapters 44 and 45, Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. Now that is in yesterday. Today, Jimmy Carter, back in 1979, helped bring down the Shah of Iran, and entering from Paris would be the man Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, who brought the Islamic Republic into place. Iranian leaders calling for the destruction of Israel. In fact, they said that they could do that in some nine minutes. Recently, a Iranian military general said the time has been set to destroy the Jewish state. And Iran today in Syria making preparations to attack the Jewish state. In the future, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5 mentions Persia as one of those nations that will align themselves against the Jewish state of Israel. Remember Persia, that's biblical terminology for modern day Iran. When you add to the information from Psalm 83 and Daniel chapter 11, other prophetic passages, you come to the understanding that Syria, Daniel 1140, that Syria will be the first one to attack the Jewish state. Today in Syria, three players that we have been talking about, Syria itself, of course, Russia and Iran. Iran has shifted its focus from helping prop up Bashar Assad, president of Syria, to now wanting to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. On the broadcast today, we've had a focus on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Iran's nuclear deception. It's been a special focus for you to be able to better understand what is really unfolding in the Middle East. We will be at the First Baptist Church all day tomorrow in Henderson, Texas, where I'm doing this broadcast from. David Hicks, the pastor, is inviting everybody to come and join us. Three sessions of prophecy teaching tomorrow, 10.30, 4.30, and 6 p.m., First Baptist Church, Henderson, Texas. My friend, the prophetic stage is set. All the actors in place, the curtain about to go up, on that final drama. But first, 
the rapture must take place. And that rapture, which takes us into the heavenlies with Jesus, could take place at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 